Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which is actually his second letter to the Corinthians. We lost letter 1 and letter 3, but we've got letter 2 and letter 4. This is his second letter that we call 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verses 18 to chapter 2, verse 2. That's going to be our text for tonight. And I encourage you to remember that as we hear the word of God taught and preached, this is a time for you to receive aggressively, to be thinking aggressively so as to digest it in fellowship with one another around the tables. This is not a time to be passive. It's not a time to tune out. This is a time for you to be thinking about applying this to yourself, preaching to your own soul, bringing your soul to repent, to trust Christ's free, wonderful grace, and to be thinking about how you're going to be encouraging your brothers and sisters around the table. That's, that, that's, that's what we want here. We, we want to be aggressive listeners, hearers and doers of the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, chapter 2 verse 2. And the main idea tonight is to boast in the king who is wisdom. He is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. Boast in him. Here are your two options. Boast in him who is the wisdom of God or fall for the human wisdom that the king is actively right now in real time destroying in the world. Every lecture, every song, every conversation, every advertisement, video, tweet, Instagram post, Pinterest board is pushing you towards God's wisdom or man's wisdom. There's no neutral ground. There's no neutrality. There's no neutral territory. And the more the cross is wise to us, that's a strange way of putting it, isn't it? The more you look at the cross of the crucified Christ as wise, the more we'll find the mind of the world ridiculous. The more the world seems wise to us, the more we'll feel indifferent to the wise power of the cross. There's no neutrality. Gordon Fee, a famous Bible commentator, wrote on this passage, the cross is not something to which one may add human wisdom and thereby make it superior, make it better 
Rather, the cross stands in absolute, uncompromising contradiction to human wisdom. Have you found that to be true? The cross, in fact, is folly to wisdom humanly conceived. The cross is stupid to the world. But it is God's folly. Folly that at the same time, that is at the same time, his wisdom and power. Watch this. I love what Gordon Fee says here. Thus, Paul says in effect, in case you get lost in the words tonight, Paul says in effect, so you think the gospel is a form of wisdom? How foolish can you get? Look at its message. It's based on the fact of a crucified Messiah. Who in the name of wisdom would have dreamt that up? Only God is so wise as to be so foolish. Furthermore, look at its recipients, the gospel's recipients, you, to be the new people of God? Who in the name of wisdom would have chosen you to be the people of God? Finally, it's as if Paul says, remember my own preaching. Who in the name of wisdom would have come up with such weakness? Yet, look at the results. Look at what the power and wisdom of God in Christ crucified is doing at this church in your life across the globe. Look at the results. Who in the name of wisdom could have anticipated this? Before we launch into the text, I want you to let God love you. I want you to let God search you and know you. And I want him to work through his word, but I'm going to ask a few questions to get the the soil tilled a little bit. How have you, this is a personal question for you, how have you wanted the gospel to be more sexy? How have you wanted the gospel to be more attractive to the world, more palatable? Where do you wish the Bible was just a little bit more scientific? Just a little bit more scientific. Why do you struggle with the simplicity of Calvary? Who is right now making you feel stupid for repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ as your righteousness? What requires repentance in your heart tonight? Let God search you and know you. Four points for this evening. Number one, the cross defies human wisdom. That's chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. The cross defies human wisdom. Secondly, 
Men couldn't invent the crucified king. That's chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. Third, God chose us so that no one could boast. That's verses 26 to 29 of chapter 1. Fourthly, boast in the king. We end with a command. Boast in the king who was crucified. Boast in the king who was crucified. Chapter 1, verse 30 to chapter 2, verse Let's dig in together. First, the cross defies human wisdom. Paul said that he had one objective. He said, my only objective is to preach the gospel. I didn't even come baptizing you. You remember from last week. I came preaching the gospel. That was my one objective. Trendy speech, clever talk, creative stories, only serve to disembowel the cross of Christ and bleed it dry. We need the gospel. That's all we need is the gospel. We need the gospel in all of its scriptural contours from Genesis to Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18, for the word or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Let's ask ourselves, what does the world have? What does the world have to say? Does the world have anything to say to you, Christian? Do they have anything to offer you in the end? Anything that's going to benefit your eternal soul? Their wisdom is a rotting corpse that they try to dress up. They try to make it look more pretty than it really is. They use clever speech as a sleight of hand for their lies. And when they hear the message of Christ crucified, they are confronted that they are in fact a sinner. That their creator is holy. And that he will pardon them completely. Wooing them to repent to turn from their sin, to leave their sin and cling to the cross of Christ and the free grace of God in Christ. Why don't they? What do spiritual zombies like you and I once were think? What do they think? They hear what I just said and they say, That is stupid. That's foolish. The Greek word is moria. And it's the word stupidity. Now, for those of you nerds of the rings, you might know that the dwarves of moria kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper in their greed until they woke. A fire demon made of fire and shadow, and it was their demise. In the same way, thinking that the gospel is stupidity is like digging to hell in true stupidity. The word of the cross shouts, repent, 
turn your eyes upon Jesus. You are dying. You're perishing. You will die forever. And those who are perishing only hear foolish babbling. They hear Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. It brings no effect upon their soul. But, Paul writes, to us who are being saved, what is the gospel? What is the message of the cross? To we who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the dynamite of God. It is the explosive, incredible, life-changing power, more power in every conversion than in all six days of creation. God spoke and things came to be, no problem. But in conversion, God finds in us something which is opposed to him and is even opposed to itself. Can you find something so stupid and dark as your and my heart before Christ saved us? We were opposed to God. We worked against God with Satan. We worked against ourselves. Talk about stupidity. To all those God is saving across the globe, the cross of Christ is the power of God. You and I didn't change because of morality. We didn't clean up our lives. It's not because of religion. It wasn't because of spirituality or behavior modification or sobriety or philosophy or diet and exercise. But the dynamic force of the eternal God and the historical facts that Jesus of Nazareth died for my sins on a Friday afternoon sometime between about noon and three. He bore the weight of his own rage against sin. He's God. It wasn't just the Father's wrath. It was triune wrath. It was the Father's wrath, the Son's wrath, the Spirit's wrath, thrice wrath against my sin, deserving eternal punishment. And only an eternal being could suffer that in a finite hour or finite amount of time. 4, verse 19, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. That's God speaking from the Old Testament. Let me ask you a question here. Let's take a breather. Have you ever played chess? Okay, you guys look more like a group of people who play checkers. Have you ever played checkers? We've all played checkers. We've all played with that little checkered board Have you ever played with a sore loser who like clears the board when they're losing, flips the board over like Jesus in the temple and, and, and just swipes the checker. Have you ever played with like maybe a a younger sibling or maybe a parent who doesn't have very good patience and, and they just get really upset and they clear the board because they can't handle losing. Now, does God destroy the world's wisdom like that? Is he like the person getting beat? It's just like, "Ah, I'm just going to ruin the game. I'm going to call it off. They're so smart. Darn it. 
I'm going to destroy their wisdom. Does God terminate the game because God's losing? Paul's quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 1. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts far from me. They pretend. They come to college group. They talk about me. They, they sing to me, but their hearts aren't singing. It's just lips moving. And their fear of me Isn't the command of men learned by rote? They're just learning religion. They're just learning ritual. Therefore, behold, look, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be hidden. Woe to those who deeply hide their counsel, their purpose from Yahweh, and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Or who knows us? Oh, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal to the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed, say to he who formed it, he has no understanding. Isn't this great? He's calling out the stupidity of sin. To say that the one who made you is stupid is to say something about yourself, isn't it? He's stupid, this one that made me. Well, what does that say about you, thing he made? Uh, Religion and spirituality are dead, God says. They're dead. They are carcasses. Because they say that God is stupid. In their wisdom, they say God's stupid. And so God crushes them like a kid crushes an ant. It's easy, it's effortless. They do it without thinking. It's no contest. He doesn't crush the wisdom of the world like the losing kid at checkers or chess. How do I know? What comes next in our scripture? Verse 20. I love this. I love the manly moments in scripture. I love the manly moments where God speaks as a man. A manly man. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Uh, I love manly movies. Uh, Two of my favorite manly movies, Gladiator and Troy. Okay, those are just a few. They're not my absolute favorite manly movies, but they're two among them. And I think here where Paul says, where's the wise men? Where's the debater? Where's the scribe? Where'd they go? They're nowhere to be found. I think of Maximus when he's shouting at the crowds during his, his fights, are you not entertained? You know, and the crowds are spooked out, he's throwing swords up in the crowds. They weren't expecting that. I think of Achilles shouting at the walls of Troy. Is there no one else? Bring out another champion. Let me slay him. Is there no one else brave enough to come and fight? That is what God is saying. Where did they go? Where are the wise men? Who wants to debate me? 
You've got this God. You need to be reminded that's your God. He's not a wimpy God that, that cripples up in the face of science in a college classroom and says, oh, I wish I, I wish I made it a little bit more obvious that I made everything. They're the fools. This series of questions is humiliating. It's emasculating to the philosopher. I say that as a man that studied philosophy in my undergraduate work. And all I read were a bunch of boys chasing their own tails. Utterly dissatisfying. And I, I was going to say something else, but that you can misunderstand that. Okay, second point. Men couldn't invent the crucified king. Uh, verses 21 to 25. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, be very careful as you read this. In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Wow. Okay, now really quickly. Let's brush over it with, with, with a simple glance. The wisdom of God and the world's wisdom are diametrically opposed to one another. They are incompatible. The wisdom of the world simply cannot know God. It's unable to. However, is that the point? That's true. But is that the point Paul is making? Does Paul simply mean to pit God's wisdom against man's? No. He's saying that it is God's wise purpose to ensure that humans could not, with their countless philosophers over thousands of years, ever arrive at God's wisdom. God wisely made it this way. Not even with 10 billion minds, give them 10 trillion years to figure it out, they aren't going to get it. God was well pleased, the verse continues. Well pleased. It makes God happy through the foolishness of the message preached of the cross to save those who believe it. He likes this very much. Simplify that. Not only is it God's brilliant idea to confound the world's brightest minds, but it is beautiful to God. And it delights him to rescue sinners through a master plan that mankind finds ludicrous. He goes, yes, this is good. It's amazing that souls are eternally saved by God's gift of belief. Watch this. After sound waves vibrate, air molecules communicating sounds, which we interpret as who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And God uses moving air, vibrating air, to regenerate hearts, to see Christ as the wisdom of God and the power of God. This is sweet. This is awesome. This is a miracle that's happening all the time around the globe. This is the miracle that I pray has brought you here tonight. Vibrating air and God's spirit hijacking that air to make you live eternal. (laughs) Come on. You can't tell me that what we're doing here is boring. Verses 22 to 23, for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Jews, if you notice, he uses different expressions for the Jews and the Gentiles or the Jews and the non-Jews. Jews have God's word and they march down God's word as a path. But as they march down God's word, they trip over the promised king who was crucified, executed as a criminal. So they're walking down God's word, but they trip over their misunderstanding of what God's word says. Now, non-Jews, Gentiles, do not have God's word. And so they are just scrapping and laboring like blind men by their so-called reason up to some imagined God, and they miss him entirely. This gospel thing that we're talking about, totally just stupid to them. But to Jews, it's something they're tripping over. They see the remnants of it in scripture, but they trip over it. And Paul says, we herald the God who became man. And though he is king of earth, he was put to death for traitors. And he chose that. And the Jews say, that's not the Messiah that we read in our scriptures. And Greeks say, what in the world are you talking about? But, verse 24, to those who are called, that is, they're called by God to not only hear, but to believe, to trust, to hide, to obsess over this truth, this so-called foolish wisdom. Both Jews and Greeks. Notice how wonderful that is, that not all Jews or Greeks remain in disbelief. God's calling Jews and Greeks to them. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I love the way that he says it. He doesn't say Christ is. I actually misread that. It's not Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's almost as if those are his titles. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Christ, the wisdom of God. And the power of God. King Jesus is God himself. And therefore he is the power of God. And the wisdom of 
God. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, we in English need to pretty much put air quotes around foolishness and weakness. That's what Paul's communicating. You don't do that in Greek, okay? But so far, he's already, he's already built the argument. The world looks at the gospel as stupid and weak. A dying king, weak. A king who dies for sinners, stupid. And so Paul is saying, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is God's historical way. His laugh, his, his, his humiliating way to absolutely debase humans who refuse to bow before his king who died for sins. He's humiliating them. God's so-called stupidity is smarter than our genius. And God's so-called Weakness makes us look puny. Thirdly, God chose us. God chose us so no one could boast. Verses 26 to 29. Four, consider your calling, brothers. Consider when God called you. Consider how God called you, brothers. That not many were wise according to the flesh. Not many Mighty, not many, noble. I love this. Uh, This is actually a very funny text. He's saying, look around. Not many of you are very smart. Not many of you have got big muscles. Not many of you are extremely successful or rich. I don't see any celebrities in the room. You see? God does save sinners and he does use some of them in the spotlight. But how often are you hearing about celebrities really actually repenting? I'm not talking about Chris Platt or Pratt talking about, oh yeah, the Jesus thing. Now I've seen interviews with Chris Pratt and he's not speaking like a believer. Okay, I'm saying real people in the spotlight with riches and power. How often are you seeing them actually repent and go low with Christ? You're not seeing it often. It's not impossible, but you're not seeing it often. Now, does Paul say that no rock stars get saved? Not many. Praise God, he didn't say, not any. Selena Hastings, the Countess of Huntingdon, in the early 1700s wrote, quote, Blessed be God, it does not say any mighty, any noble. It says many mighty, many noble. I love this line. She says, I owe my salvation to the letter M because the letter M made all the difference there. If it had been not any noble, where would the countess have been? And we could say the same thing. 
thank God that, when's the last time that you thought, thank God I'm not successful? Honestly, if you don't read this text and think, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've saved me. Why does God do it this way? What is his purpose? Verses 27 and 29. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. (laughs) Again, it's really funny. Who's he talking to? Foolish things. He's chosen the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things in the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may abolish the things that are. Uh, he's using language that, like we use. Oh, pfft, that's nothing. Or, oh, that's everything. Lately, I don't know why. So I, I, I must have watched a, a YouTube video of a golden retriever puppy. And now it's like always suggested on my YouTube. And the number one caption I see on there, I don't know if it's the same channel, but they say, my puppy is everything. So we use that language, right? Nothing is like stupid. Everything. Apparently that means good. Okay? He's taken the things that are not to shame the things that are. So that no flesh may boast before God. Oh, they'll boast before each other, but no flesh can boast before God. Have you ever heard Paul Washer preach? And he talks about being on college campuses, and he says, and some young man will come wax bold in front of me. And I'll say to that young man, you will melt like wax before God. And he's like blistering them. And you just imagine a bunch of college boys crying like babies before this guy. You will not boast before God, you will melt like wax. God is shaming and abolishing the world's wisdom so that no one can brag. He's humiliating. He's invalidating the lost's nonsense. You know what comfort this brought me this week? As I'm hearing nothing but bad news. I'm hearing nothing but bad news. I'm hearing nothing but stupidity across the radio waves, across the, 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 the podcasts and through my phone. I'm just hearing bad news. And then this wonderful text comes to me and I'm reminded that God's pulling out the stupidity of depraved minds to go, this I'm destroying. This is stupid. And I'm undoing it. And never before have I been part of a church where God is preaching the gospel in all its various ministries or whatever. And people are being saved. People are being revived. They're being rescued from stupidity. And they're seeing the beauty of the truth of Christ. And their lives are changing. Your lives are changing. I've never been part of something like this. Part of what God's doing here, it's, it's unprecedented in my life. And there's something about the Lord revealing just how stupid the world thinks, putting it darker and darker in its debased thinking that makes the gospel appear 
more bright. It's always been bright. It's always been perfectly bright. But the contrast is so stark now. Don't fall for the professor's lecture. Don't fall for peer pressure on social media or the popular trend. Dig into your Bible. Study the gospel. Behold the king who came to be killed, putting rebels right with God. Who could boast about that? Who could self-brag in light of that? Finally, boast in the king who is crucified. Chapter 1, verse 30. Chapter 2, verse 2. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By whose doing? By God's and God's alone. You are in Christ. You did not put yourself in Christ. He put you in Christ. He didn't need your help. He didn't take your help. You offered no help. He put you in Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you know that you're in Christ? Who put you there? Marvel with your brothers and sisters around the table as you consider that. You're there because God put you in Christ. And when God put you in him, how did you begin to see him? He, Paul writes, became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He once looked to us like stupidity, like he was wrong, like he was just some revolutionary and died on a cross so he must have been unsuccessful. But now, the wisdom of God, righteousness of God, holiness, redemption. We only know God's mind, how to be right with him, how to be holy like him, and how to be brought, bought by him in the person and work and heart of Christ. He is our religion. Verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'll give you something to brag about. Brag about the man from Galilee. That word Lord is Yahweh. Who is Jesus? He is Yahweh himself. He's God himself. What can you and I boast about, if anything at all? Him. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superior, superiority of word or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God. No gimmicks, no bells, no whistles, no smoke. Intelligentsia. It just distracts from the saving gospel. The more complicated you make the gospel, the less powerful it becomes. 4, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, King Jesus, and him crucified. Do you? What do you want to know most about? Seriously consider that question. 
what do you want to learn most about? What is on your mind? What do you read about? What do you think about? What do you question about? Would you determine to know nothing if only you could know him? The Christian biologist, the Christian mathematician, the Christian musician, the Christian businessman or woman. Yes, they have their various disciplines. Yes, they have their crafts, but they want to know him most. Everything about him. Specifically what? Above all things, that he would be crucified for me. He really suffered it for me. That's God's brilliant, God's exclusive way for sinners to be right with him. Who in the name of wisdom would have dreamt this up? Father, we ask that you would send the word home to our hearts now as we sing, as we pray, as we fellowship and discuss. We ask it. For Christ's sake, amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.